for all of us, we either worship God or we idolize something else. Amen. It is great to be here with the family of God here in Stockholm, Sweden. And it's uh, so exciting to be back in town. It's so, so exciting to be back in Sweden. And to think of it, it's really been only three and a half weeks. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it feels like it's been months because there's been so much happening during those three, three weeks uh, time. Uh, but it's uh, incredible just to be with, uh, with the family, to be with the disciples who uh, Valentin took the stand, like, uh, like Eric and Michelle, who were just uh, leading the group here in our absence. They're leading the group in our absence, amen? Yeah. Let's get the zeal going here, okay? It says, never be like it in zeal. So we're not going to have a, a dead church service, a boring church service. That is sin, amen? So we've got to be zealous, amen? But, uh, but just to see uh, uh, already what God has done. Uh, of course, even us having the vein of this miracle of God. Uh, us, uh, you know, getting it for, uh, uh, for a great price, uh, which we're grateful for. Uh, as uh, Gustav talked about, the financial victories we have had. Uh, and even those uh, disciples who were here before the mission team came, actually, uh, the giving has gone up by 43%. Which is, uh, which is incredible because, again, it shows, it shows growth and it shows hard to sacrifice. Because ultimately, you sacrifice for what you believe in, it shows that the faith is increasing. Of course, this past week, we had 13 visitors come out during the night for our SU Bible talk, which is incredible. Many times in London, we didn't have 13 visitors come out, amen. <laughs> so it's just great to see that the city is open. And again, people are hungry for the word of God. We have only seen marriage strengthened. We have seen parenting grow in a church. So again, it's been great to see what God has been doing already. The title for the church today is Make Every Effort. Make Every Effort. Because God being God, we want to give God our very best. In the way we sing to God, we want to give God our very best. We want to make every effort. In the way we encourage each other, we want to make every effort. In the way we teach the word of God, we want to make every effort. In the way we evangelize, we want to make every effort. Because God wants us to give us our very best to him. And so the first point today is make every effort in your worship. Let us go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And when you get to the book of Samuel, it is the end of the era of the judges. Because the people of God, they saw a pattern. They were doing well, then they forgot about God. And then God's enemies started taking over. So they ended up in a very challenging situation. Then the people, God, we are in need. So they call out to God. God sends them a judge, a leader, to deliver his people. Then things get great again. And then people forget about God. <laughs> and the same pattern just keeps repeating time and time again throughout the book of Judges. And the conclusion is that in that day, people saw as they saw fit. <laughs> because they had no king. They had no ruler over them. Which again shows that we as a movement, we believe in central leadership. Because again, we've we got to have leadership in the family of God. In, in every situation, marriage, household, company, there's got to be leadership. Which means you don't always get to do what you think is fit. <laughs> because that was the whole issue for the people there. So when we get to the book of Samuel, we see the last of the judges in the book of Samuel. 
Of course, Samuel himself was the last judge, uh, introducing the era of the kings. Of course, King Saul was the first king to take over. So, so Samuel was uh, the last judge. And, and here when we start out in 1 Samuel, we actually see Eli, who also was judging the people of God. So let us start out here in 1 Samuel 1, verse 1. And it says, there was a certain man <laughs> from Ramathite, a Sufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was El Elkanah, son of Jeram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And of course, we know that the people of God split into ten tribes in the, east, uh, in the north and two in the south. And Ephraim actually was the strongest of the ten tribes in the north. So many times the whole constellation is called Ephraim, the, the, the northern kingdom. And this man then was from the tribe of Ephraim, whereas Judah was strongest in the south. And he says that he had two wives. That's an issue, amen. <laughs> he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And of course, when we look at the different religions, we know that Muhammad, he had 12 wives. One of them, Aisha, was six years old when Prophet Muhammad married her, and nine when the marriage was consummated when they had sex. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, he had up to 40 wives. So again, we just see the lust of men. And so, in the same way, Elkanah, one wife wasn't enough, he had two wives. And again, that's, 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 it just brings a plethora of issues right there. Because it's not God's plan, it doesn't work. One of Elkanah's wives was fruitful, Penina. The other one was unfruitful, that was Hannah. Which can be a source of contention. And it says, verse 3, year after year. And again, we got to ask ourselves, is it year after year? <laughs> or is it year after year? What kind of years are we having? Because it says that year after year, this man went up from his town to worship. So I was in the mind of Elkanah, it was worship. The worship of God. And sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the time came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So again, we see that there was conflict between the two wives. And again, we believe in one husband and one wife, amen? <laughs> we, don't, uh, we don't believe in, in polygamy. We, we, we don't believe in any of this crazy stuff, okay? And uh, I was just to say, amen. Yeah, amen. I mean, uh, yeah, Ashley's is kind of happy about that. I don't know about the other ones. So one husband, one wife, that is God's plan, amen. amen. Because the wives, they want 
their husband's whole attention, right? Wholehearted devotion, not half-hearted devotion. Well, the other half, half, half of my heart goes to this other wife. Okay, okay. So wives are on board. It has to be wholehearted devotion in marriage. And so, you know, they, they had issues. Because Penina, because she was the brutal one, she was like, well, where's your kids? Because Hannah wasn't having any, any children. And she would provoke her. And again, Hannah, you could argue, she shouldn't have been irritated at Penina. Because we, we got to be compassionate, we got to be patient. But also, Penina shouldn't have been provoking her. Because in Luke 17, 1 and 2, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of those little ones to stumble. So yeah, they, they sinned. Because we think they sinned, so it's on them. Yeah, they got to take responsibility for their sin. But also, you provoke them. You push them to the point. So you're in sin as well. And in fact, it says that the one who caused someone to stumble, it's better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck. How good is it to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck? It's like, you know, certain death, inescapable, going into the depths, darkness, you're going to die. <laughs> Would be better than to cause someone else to stumble. So again, provoking is sin. So she provoked the other wife. But they went year after year to worship. And that is really the point. How is your worship of God? Worship in the Hebrew, it comes from the word shahat, which means to bow down, to prostrate oneself. Because God wants, to, wants us to worship him. God likes to be worshipped because that's who he rightfully believes. He's God. He is the only one who deserves worship. And for all of us, we either worship God or we idolize something else. Because we, we need the God in our life. So if we don't worship God, we will find the God. We'll make something into our God, into our idol. And you become like what you worship or what you idolize. So if you worship God, what are you going to become? Caring, loving, compassionate, joyful, hardline, <laughs> zealous, bold. Because you become like the one you worship. If you idolize yourself, you become more and more Self-centered. You idolize your career, you will sell your soul for it. Because that's your idol. That's what you want. You sacrifice everything and everyone at the altar of success. So really, all of our issues, quite frankly, are worship issues. All of the issues we have with other people, all of your horizontal issues are vertical issues. Because that shows where relationship with God is at. When you're worshiping God, you have the strength to be giving, <laughs> to, to love, to be forgiving, because you worship God. And it was great to get together with the campus students on Friday night, amen? Why? Just to worship God. <laughs> because how many people on Friday nights are out worshiping God? <laughs> people are getting drunk, losing their virginity, you know, getting into binds of sin. But again, we, we, we just want to be godly men and women. And we just, let's, just, let's just worship God. So we got to sing to God. It was incredible. We got to pray together. Uh, we, we got to praise God alphabetically. What is something I can praise for that starts with A? And I'm like, Ashley, of course. <laughs> you know, of course, we have a church in, in Amsterdam. You know, we have a church in Berlin. 
so, so there's uh, many things. See, for Sheliot, Sheliot is incredible. So, so I have much to, much to praise and thank, thank God for. And most of us were praying on our knees, which is humbling, because really that's where we belong before God. Understand that he's God and we are not. So we got to have a humble heart in approaching God. And it was an awesome time of worship and praising God. Please turn with me to Psalm 5. Psalm 5. I was reading this one of the mornings this past week, and uh, I just got stuck on verse 3 because it was awesome. Because it starts out in Psalm 5, it says, verse 1, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. I pray that God is your King. Not just the King of the world, but your King. That is not just a God, but it's your God. For to you I pray. And it says, morning by morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. Morning by morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. The new NIV says, in the morning. This doesn't really carry the whole meaning. But it says, morning by morning. <laughs> Even here in the old NIV. And I studied it out. The word morning in the Greek is poker, which means the break of day. It is the end of night. It is the coming of daylight. It is the coming of sunrise. And the meaning of the Hebrew comes from split or penetrate. As the dawn penetrates the darkness, the light breaks through the clouds. So that's really what it means. It is the break. <laughs> it breaks through. And it is a time in the morning when light first appears, the dawn or the sunrise. So it's not just morning, but it's early morning. <laughs> the word is used in Genesis 1 verse 5, where it says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So it was the first time that light penetrated through the darkness, that low light broke through. Many translations actually in English carry the meaning of daily prayer early in the morning. In the ERV it says, every morning, Lord, I lay my gifts before you and look for you, look to you for help. And every morning you hear my prayers. The EXP says, Lord, every morning you hear my voice. Every morning I tell you what I need or it specifies or prepare a sacrifice for you stretch out or range before you, and I wait for your answer. In the ICB, it says, Lord, every morning you hear my voice. Every morning I tell you what I need, and I wait for your answer. And I particularly like the message version, which says, every morning you'll hear me at it again. <laughs> every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and watch for fire to descend. Like, isn't that fire or what? I was like, this is incredible. Because really, when it talks about morning prayer, it really is a reference to the morning sacrifice. Of course, you had the morning sacrifice and you had the evening sacrifice. So it was the daily morning sacrifice, which actually was offered at sunrise, <laughs> early in the morning. And when it says lay, it really means to put in order or to arrange. For example, in Genesis 22.9, it says, when they reached the place God had told him about, 
Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So again, it's as if you lay the firewood in place. Because if you don't have firewood, you're not going to have fire. <laughs> so, so, so that's what we got to lay up in the morning. When we go to God, lay up our prayers, our sacrifice, and wait in expectation. What is God going to do? In Revelation 5.8, it says, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So in fact, our prayers are a sweet aroma before God. So when we pray to God, this incense is brought before the Lord Almighty. Can you imagine? Is that how you think about your prayer? This prayer reaches the very throne room of God. Now, we got to be prayerful. What if the bowls are presented to God and they're empty? Because we're not praying. Like, that would be horrible. So again, we, we, we got we to gotta pray. We got to bring our morning sacrifices to God. So that we can see his fire descend on a sacrifice that we have prepared. And it says, a morning sacrifice. <laughs> Why sacrifice? Because you got to wake up early. That's a sacrifice. You know, it's dark in the morning. You're like, it feels like 5 a.m., but it's 8 <laughs> or 7 something. Right? It's a sacrifice because sometimes we don't feel like praising God. We're focused on ourselves. Uh, I'm feeling all this, you know, and we really don't want to praise God. So that's why it's a sacrifice. So again, it talks about the daily morning sacrifice. And again, one thing I've been asking the disciples, how are your quiet times? Because really in the European world sector, we believe that we don't educate people beyond the level of obedience, amen? Because if we're not really having quiet time, which really is the issue, uh, that disciples aren't having daily quiet time. And again, that's really, again, it's a, it's a lack of worship. And again, if we want to see God do anything and we're not worshiping God, nothing's going to happen. So again, we got to make sure that all of us are having great daily worship of God. Your morning sacrifice to God. As we have spoken about soap, you read the scripture, you do your observation, what did you see in the scripture? You do your application, what does it mean for you? And you take your practical. Because it says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves. Because we are deceived, well, I read the scriptures. So did you do what it said? So that's why I need a practical need to do something based on what you read. So let us, let us go after it and be ready to share it. Okay, what, are you, what, what did you do based on what you read in the morning? So we got to have a great worship of God. Again, you remember when the exiles came back, what is the first thing they built? The altar. Which is meant to alter something in you. Because if you aren't working with God, you aren't changing. So we need... The worship going on. The altar to God. You could argue, what is the worst prayer? <laughs> is it the one where we are not giving our hearts? When we don't have the right motives? I would argue it's the unprayed prayer. Because when you're praying, then the Spirit works in your heart. <laughs> and the Spirit even prays for you with wordless groans. <laughs> so again, we got to be praying. So from this coming week, Monday to Friday, we'll have uh, two times of prayer for the whole church. Uh, we're going to have the 6 a.m. prayer. Uh, if you struggle with getting up early, that's for you. And, uh, and we're going to have the 9 p.m. prayer. 
Because I was talking to, uh, we had uh, uh, George and Bogdan, of course, come by yesterday, which is incredible. He's talking about how the, you know, how the disciples are doing, how the parenting is doing, and all of that. And, uh, you know, they said, like, 6, uh, 6 a.m., that's too late for us. <laughs> uh, the choice is like, well, we could do 4.45. I'm like, well, maybe that's going to make people struggle a little bit. So, uh, so let's just uh, add, uh, add an evening prayer, uh, who may not, uh, you know, yeah, so, uh, so that's going to be a bit challenging for some. Bogdan as well, like, no, 6, 6 a.m., I got to get the boys ready, so it's too late for me. Amen. So, so let's do the 6 a.m. prayer uh, uh, for, for, for most, and also those who didn't pray in the morning, they can pray in the evening. Amen. So, so again, let's, uh, let's get that going, because we've got we to be, pray together as disciples, as a family of God, because prayers, again, there is the throne room of God, and they touch God's heart. So we've got to be a prayerful family, a family that is known for prayer, a family that is known for our worship of God. Amen. Let's go back to 1 Samuel. First Samuel. Our second point is make every effort to build up your household. Because we know that the first century church was built from house to house. When in Acts 8 the persecution broke out, they went from house to house to destroy the church. So the church is built from house to house, it is destroyed from house to house. So we got to build up the church from house to house. First Samuel 1. It says, verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest, so that's the judge, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery, and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. So again, giving the Nazarite vow, it was a great dedication of the son. Next verse. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Which really shows the state of Israel, where things were at. Because, ah, they're just getting drunk. But again, that's the people of God. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish. And grief. So Eli, he was the judge. So he judged her. <laughs> Amen. Just, okay, stop, stop getting drunk. But really, Eli, he had a bunch of issues going on himself. When he turned to chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, verse 12, it says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priest with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle a cauldron or pot, and he, the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought him. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, which was supposed to be a sacrifice to God, 
the servant of the priest would come and say to that man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I will take it by force. The sin of the young man was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. So again, what was teaching for Eli? It was a lack of family leadership. So he was quick to rebuke the woman for getting drunk, who wasn't her, his family, but he wasn't dealing with the sin in his own family. And again, it says in verse, and uh, you know, like even the sons that were even like sleeping around, committing adultery. So, so there was a lot of sin going on. But he failed to restrain his children. And it says in verse 27, now a man of God came to Eli. So you think when a man of God comes, it's, it's good news? Well, he was rebuked. And said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly re reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed from my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by patting yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel? So he says, patting yourselves, meaning not only the sons were in sin, but also Eli himself was part of it as well. Patting yourselves, not themselves. So again, and it was a huge, a huge rebuke. And basically what was said was that Hophni and Phinehas, they would die on the very same day, uh, on the same day in the future. So again, it was a very strong message from, from the man of God. So again, we got to make every effort to build up our households. Because the church is built from house to house. And that is really where a lot of people in the scriptures fail. David was a man after God's own heart. His family was a mess. Absalom, you know, took the country by force. I mean, there was just a lot of drama going on in families. So again, that's where a lot of men actually fail. And it was awesome to, uh, to get together on Thursday to celebrate the Thanksgiving event. Yeah. New, uh, new customs being, being brought. I never celebrate Thanksgiving before marrying Ashley. It's just not a thing you do in, in Europe. But, uh, but it was awesome. And again, the dinner was phenomenal. The, the food was incredible. Uh, of course, we played a game where we got to share about something that uh, we are thankful for. Uh, many share just the thankfulness for the group we get to be part of. And again, we, we, we uh, played a game where we had to write two facts about ourselves that would be hard for others to guess. Okay, and we, we, we found out who's been arrested once, who's been arrested twice. Uh, we found out who fell in love when they were nine years old. One of the years I wrote, I have 31 teeth. And I thought like it is kind of, you know, common information that, that people have 32 teeth usually. But, uh, but I guess it wasn't, you know, so people like 31 teeth, like what's going on here, like weirdness. Uh, but somebody still guessed it. And I'm like, you know, how, how did they guess that one? <laughs> so, uh, so I just put like, I like the color blue. And nobody could guess that some fired up, hey man. So, so sometimes you've got to give things a bit general. Okay. Uh, but, you know, ultimately it's, it's a time with the family. Because really that's what the church of God is. It is a family. That's why we say brothers and sisters, not just to say it, but that's who we are. 
And again, we are here loving the family of God. I mean, I could be in Estonia loving my physical family, but I'm not. Because I'm seeking first the kingdom. And we're here to build up the family of God, which is the priority. When you think about Jesus in Mark 3, his own family, his mom and his brothers came to take care of him. He's like, this is too, you're being too devoted. <laughs> you're being fanatical. But he says, who is my family? And those around him who were listening to the word of God. That's my mother, my sister, my brother. The ones who are doing the will of God. So he prioritizes spiritual family above his physical family. That is the example of Christ. Because when we spend time with the family, I mean, when you, let's say, go on a holiday, the kids can be part of the parents like that was a lot of work. <laughs> right? The kids, I mean, they, they, they wake up, they need to be taken care of, they, 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 they are crying, they, they get hurt, you know, they issues upon issues, okay? But again, it's worth the sacrifice. And even as it was the late night, you know, Oliver, he fell asleep in the stroller when we were coming back. Uh, we got home maybe 10, 10.30, whatever time it was. He couldn't take a shower in the evening. He had to take it in the morning because it was a late night. But it's worth it. So whatever sacrifice you make for the sake of the family, it's always worth it because God's kingdom is being built up. Because ultimately the question is, what are we passing on to our family? And really, whatever you do, that's what your kids are going to imitate. So I want my kids to see that the kingdom, it doesn't come second, it comes first. Because we cannot really buy into this Swedish family ideal. You have your, you know, Vietnamese, you know, just, uh, just with, uh, with the family, like, uh, don't disturb me. I'm with the kids. Uh, because, again, don't be surprised when the kids go in the future, well, the church isn't my first priority. I would rather do something else, play sports. I would rather not go to church. Because right now, you are training your kids what the priorities are. And they will do not what you say, but really what you do. So they will see your priorities. And so we really got to build things in God's way. You have structure, order, and protocol. What is God's priority, number one? Your relationship with God. Because if you aren't working with God, what are you going to give to your spouse? What are you going to give to your kids? Nothing. So we got to make sure that we're working with God. First thing, relationship with God. Second thing, it's not your kids, it's your spouse. Right? Because if you aren't doing great as a married couple, again, what will the kids see? Which really is the Swedish issue. Because so many families are broken up. Dad wasn't around, shared custody. And again, it's common, but it's not God's plan. So your relationship with your spouse comes second after your relationship with God. Third, well, that's the kids. <laughs> so question is, what are you teaching your kids? Are you teaching them that the kingdom is the first priority? What does your example show? Some of you are bringing your, your children to me to disciple. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> that's, that's not my kid, that's your kid. You are the parent, it's your role to discipline a child, not mine. So if you don't like something your kid is doing, you have a sit down with them and you talk about it. And if somebody's a single parent, again, we have to take the role of both the father and the mother, <laughs> which means you've got to have the discipline of the father, the direction, and also the nurturing part of the mom, which again, amen, that's just a situation, that's what you've got to take. Some of you come to inform me of what your child wants to do. I mean, I appreciate hearing about your child's opinion, but now what do you as a parent want your child to do? <laughs> because it's not the children's choice, it's your choice, because that's your kid, and you take responsibility. Is that what your child wants, or is that what you want? Because you are a parent. It's your decision. 
I mean, I, I don't ask Oliver what he wants to do. I tell Oliver what, what, what he's going to do. Because I make the decisions in the house. Again, of course, I ask him, okay, do you want toast? Do you, you know, of course, I ask him. But my kid is not running the show. Because that's not, he's, he's not leading the family. That's what the society is telling us. Children come first. And again, that's why things look the way they do. <laughs> Children are out of control. No respect for authority at school, out and about. It's just, it, it's non-existent. I was thinking about uh, in, in London, we had uh, uh, many Nigerians in the church. I love Nigerians. I mean, they even called me Oluwa Kaspa. You know, they gave me nicknames. They gave me, you know, Yam, Chola Fries. They gave me Durak. Uh, so I love Nigerians. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so one of the, one of the moms, you know, she was, uh, she was having issues with raising uh, one of her boys, actually. And uh, he was just uh, disobedient very much so. And, uh, you know, basically, she, she, she okay, what is going to be best for my boy? And she decided, okay, we're just going to send the boy to Nigeria uh, to be raised there, just to get the discipline that he needs. Because the boy was used, well, I can get uh, away with anything over here, okay? And that's very much Sweden. You can just do whatever you like. She says, well, in Nigeria, they're going to cane you until you're obedient. And boy's like, okay, let me get the beatings here. <laughs> it's a very different culture. And again, Sweden isn't the, the standard of how things are supposed to be. The Bible is the standard. So we got a discipline according to the Bible. Amen. So not Nigeria, not America, not Sweden. We got to go by the Bible. So it's again, you as a parent, it's your thing to discipline your children because they're your kids. And again, I pray that we aren't buying into the worldly principles often. Because who's going to discipline your kids? The schools? The government, they're going to do it? Teach them to love God? Absolutely not. Otherwise, they end up out of control and atheists. I mean, which Muslims go, let me ask my kids what they want to do. Let me ask my daughter if she feels like wearing the hijab. Oh, you don't want to today? Okay, that's fine. No, you're a girl and you're a Muslim, so you wear a hijab. That's how we do it in our religion. It's not up for discussion. You think the Orthodox Jews... You wear a hat, you have your side curl thingies going on, your favorite colors are black and gray, you're a Jew, end of story. Right? That's, that's great parenting. Yet as Christians, we get all lukewarm. Well, you know, let me get my kids' opinion, you know. We've got to be sensitive after all. Let's see what trends are socially acceptable right now. Oh, you identify as a pink unicorn. Okay, you're a pink unicorn then. I mean, the child said it. It's, it's their decision, right? Who am I to say anything about it? Like, you're, you're going to let it happen? So we're not going to have passive parenting in a church because that's not biblical parenting and it's not, it shows you're not imitated. So again, you've you got to parent your kids. We've got to have great families, which really, even Bogdan and Georgia said, it's like, yeah, like we had other kids came over and they're out of control. <laughs> you know, so like, I don't, I don't want my kids to be affected by the other kids because like they're just messed up, you know. So, so, so there is a clear distinction between kingdom kids and other kids, which should be the case. And again, so we cannot, we cannot compromise and buy into the patterns of the world. But again, our, our families are going to show a difference, which is awesome. So if the kids are running around, again, you don't let the kids run around and scream around. That's just a lack of parenting. You've you got to restrain them. Because really, that's, that's what Eli was challenged for. Ultimately, he failed to restrain his children. And, and, and they got taken out. They got killed. And also, the whole family line was cursed. 
So Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. <laughs> you see, he made the decision for his whole household. That's what we are going to do in our family. And again, that's how we got a parent. That's how we got to lead our households. Our brother's household is going to be awesome, amen? Yeah. Our sister's household is going to be awesome as well. Yeah. Right? So we will build the church up household by household. doesn't mean you idolize your household. It's not more important than God. You seek the kingdom first. But again, we've got to have godly households that are an example. Let's go back to 1 Samuel 1. And of course, we see that Hannah, she was praying to God. <laughs> Not wrong. But really, she had this great desire to have a child. And in fact, she made a vow to God, which was that she would devote the child to the Lord. So a third and final point is make every effort to be fruitful. There are six women in the Old Testament who were barren, but through divine intervention, managed to have children. About six of them. You had Abraham's Sarah, of course, and she had Isaac, the child of the promise. You had Isaac's wife, Rebecca, and Isaac prayed, and she gave birth to Esau and Jacob, even as she was barren. You had Jacob's wife, Rachel. She prayed, and God allowed her to give birth to Joseph and to Benjamin. You have Hannah, as we're reading about here. You had in Judges 13, the mother of Samson. And also the Shannamite woman in 2 Kings 4. So, so really you see that many of the matriarchs, the, the great mothers <laughs> of the Bible, if you will, they actually were barren. But again, through divine intervention, they could have children. So what is the point? Bearing godly, godly children is an act of God. Because it's not something you can manufacture. But again, God's got to do it. And even as last week we talked about the last commandment is the first priority, amen? The last commandment is the first priority, amen? A bit more conviction there. May we need to re-listen to the lesson, amen? But every true disciple makes other people into disciples. And that's us having spiritual children. Yesterday we had uh, Shelly Ott come over. And uh, they were actually showing the football match, France versus Denmark. And of course, France took it home to, uh, uh, to one, amen. But when we, uh, when we watch football, you want to see some goals, amen? Because you watch football and it's like 90 minutes of running, no goals. It's just like, there were no goals. <laughs> I mean, the running was incredible, but, you know, where's the goals? Like, that doesn't really fire you up. You want to see some goals. I believe Spain defeated one of the teams, like 7-0. Ain't that crazy? So they saw seven goals. <laughs> which is awesome. But again, what is our goal as disciples? It is to baptize disciples. And that's what shows that we have scored. And so that's why we ask every week, who is getting baptized? Because again, it should be uncomfortable for us to be unfruitful. First of all, we need to get to weekly baptisms, then to daily baptisms. And when you think about the point of vows in the Bible, because you may wonder, well, are we still making vows in the New Testament times? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to the New Testament. Let us go to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. 
And it says in Matthew 5, verse 33, it reads, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and you know, no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so here the old NIV actually gives the better translation. Uh, because it says that, do not break your oaths, but keep your oath you have made to the Lord. Now the new NIV actually says vow there in the second half. Because really the, the word for, for oath here is the word horkos in the Greek. That which has been pledged or promised with an oath. oath. And then it says, do not break growth. The word is epiorkeo, which of course comes from the same word, horkos, which means to swear falsely to commit perjury. Right? So, 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 but the word being used is oath. Now, when we turn to Acts 18, Acts 18, it says, Acts 18, verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancria because of a vow he had taken. And the word vow here is in the Greek, euhe, which is a wish expressed as a petition to God or in votive obligation. So again, it's, it's two different words that are being used. Uh, oath, I mean, for example, when you think about Peter, he swore with an oath, I don't know the man. <laughs> when he was denying Jesus. He gave an oath. So for one, he did what Jesus had told him not to do, because he says, do not swear an oath at all, <laughs> which he did, and of course he was denying Jesus, which was bad. So, so do not make an oath, do not swear falsely. So he swore falsely. Because we think, well, oath adds value to our words. I'm gonna do it means you're maybe gonna do it. But I'm gonna do it, I promise to do it. Okay, then why are we really gonna do it? But we shouldn't make oaths add value to our words. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. So if you said you're going to do it, then do it. There should be the same value in your words without making an oath. So again, do not swear an oath, but make a vow. <laughs> because Paul, he had made a vow. And this is many years already into Christianity. He still made a vow to God. And it was great to hear about, uh, uh, I was chatting a bit with our brother Paul T. in, in South London. And, uh, of course, he was part of Access and My Ministry while we were over there. And uh, he just uh, published another music video. Uh, you may want to give it a look if you haven't yet. It's awesome. Uh, him and uh, Dylan together. And uh, so he, he sent it to me, and I, I got to congratulate him and tell him, you know, I only listened to it earlier on. Uh, and, and I was actually just making a post about it on Facebook as he was writing to me. And I said, uh, I, I hope you're well. And he said, yeah, I've set up eight Bible studies. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, like, so he has eight Bible studies that he's personally set up that are currently studying the Bible. And again, that's an awesome example, because that's somebody who's making every effort to be fruitful. You know, he doesn't work for the church. He's just a regular disciple. But again, he's not trying to do the minimum. Well, I had somebody out. Well, you know, I, I got someone studying the Bible, so that's enough. He doesn't limit God 
Because he knows, well, not everybody who's going to start studying the Bible is going to become a disciple. He's going to get baptized. So again, he's not trying to do the minimum, but he's fighting to be fruitful. He's making every effort. And again, that's an example that is worthy of imitation. So the question to us is really, how much do you want it? <laughs> because Hannah wanted it so much. She was just crying. She was broken. She was, you know, I'll, I'll make a vow to God. The question is, are you okay with being unfruitful? Because really, God, got to drive the adults in the church. Like, we, we are too okay with not baptizing people. That's, that's not okay. Because Jesus, he cursed the fig tree because it had no fruit on it. In Luke 13, 7, he talks about a fig tree in the vineyard. For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? So the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll, I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And of course, from John 15, we know that God cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. But if you remain in Jesus and he in you, you will bear much fruit. And what is the fruit of a disciple? It's another disciple. Because you can only produce what yourself are. So Jesus says, you are already clean. Saying, you are at the point where you can be fruitful. So don't buy into Satan's lies. Well, maybe God doesn't want me to be fruitful. Maybe he doesn't want us to baptize. He definitely does. So fruitfulness is the ex expectation for every single disciple. So I want to challenge you firstly, find one more Bible study than what you currently have. If you have zero, find one. <laughs> if you have one, find one more. Find another person who starts studying the Bible. Secondly, make a vow. What is a vow you can make for God to give you a spiritual child? Vow to not eat sweets until you baptize someone. Vow to share with a certain amount of people every day until you baptize someone. Make a vow. Let's have the same heart that Hannah had to make every effort to be fruitful. To not limit ourselves and not limit God in what he can do. So dear family, let us make every effort. Every effort in our worship of God. That's where everything else springs from. Our walk with God. Our worship of him. Let us make every effort in building up godly households. Because the church is built by house by house. And let us make every effort to be fruitful. To see much fruit glorify God. Thank you. To God be all the glory.